Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. John Reggio joining us again, world-renowned architect, tennis player, tennis pro. He's back with us hey, today live here on the show and on the Zoomcast, and we're going to talk more about his tennis background, which I really impressed me because meeting him a long time ago, just knowing about him as an architect was fascinating enough. Then, lo and behold, you peel back the onion and the layers, and who knew he had such an extensive career in tennis and all the accolades. God bless you for having such amazing careers plural welcome back <laughs> yes thanks Jill how are you good thank you so much please tell everybody a little bit about who you are how do we find you yes my name is John Reggio and uh, talk to you about the tennis playing uh, I have a page on Facebook it's called John Reggio pro tennis player and there, there's a link to my web page that lists uh, my tennis experiences and matches things like that so uh, today, uh, uh, I'd like to tell you about some interesting things. I think one of them I'd like to start off with is uh, when I was playing back at uh, Sutton East in Manhattan, and this was on my own uh, tennis uh, bubble within that whole block of, of a sports center they have there. And uh, what's happening there is um, at that time, since it was called Sutton East back then, I uh, went through the part where I needed to have a player name. And one of the names that I selected at the time when they asked me was to make my name John East. And uh, I think that was going to work pretty good. It was a simple name. And, uh, but I think what happened was the, uh, the people in the sport atp they did not want to let me have that name so my name didn't go as john east at the time but that was one name i i did select and i thought that was a name that i could even take with me there was there was no real um uh connection with anything on that name it was just like uh because it's, it's named after the street there it's on the on the east side of manhattan and uh so it, it had no connection to anything so i think the the name east was pretty good and I could continue to use that name. That was one thing that was happening at that time. And another thing that was happening was over the years, my play was developing. And what happens is as you learn tennis, I think you do this at any level, starting off, like if you're just starting off a level one, as you play uh, an opponent, you realize like if, if you, your opponent would hit the ball to one side and then the ball goes past when you you can't hit the ball you swing you you probably think about why that is happening so for if so that the next game you would probably try to devise a way to go and run over and get the ball and hit it back over the net and i think you do that at any any level and this happens as you move up uh from the levels from even like going from starting off with no level then starting off level one two three four five you would slowly have to make like little patches. Uh, if, if you were to lose a match, you'd make a little patch wondering why you lost a match, how you would correct, correct that problem. And this uh, would go on slowly in time. And for my playing, since I was a top pro playing there and moving up through my different courts, uh, every time I'd lose a match, I would always think about what was the reason why I lost the match. What shot was it that they were getting through 
Because in tennis, uh, I think at any level, if you were to lose one or two points, it could start to sort of um, cause a problem where you will end up losing the whole match. Because you lose one or two points, you might lose a game that starts to make things worse and worse, and you would end up you could lose the whole match over over just those few shots. And um, and I think uh, from that, what happened is uh, so whenever I lose a match, I would think about how to correct it. And one ability that I had, which is the reason why I was able to play as a top pro, was really to um, to really plug those holes. I was able to figure out how to correct the problem if someone a lot of times people would have different type of trick shots some people would have like a little shot maybe to the short right side of the court where you would have to try to run up and hit the ball back or they would do the same kind of shot to the left side some people had also like maybe a hard shot down the to the corner or uh, all kinds of things though you would go or you would go up to the net and they knew how to hit it over your head so I know from playing my opponent, I had all those different shots to play against them. Uh, and then uh, the one thing was to plug the hole of whatever winning shot that they had. And I was able to do that. I was able to figure out how to get my shot back. Then the next thing also with a strategy was also to how to hit the winning shot. You, If you were playing a game and you might get frustrated, you keep trying to hit the ball, say, to the player's left side. And every time you hit the ball to the player's left side, if the player was good enough, he can get back and hit the ball back, get the ball past you, and they could win that point. And then that could make you frustrated. So if you were to lose the match because you didn't get your winning shot in, that is another thing that was starting to happen that you'd have to really think about how to improve your shot. Instead of hitting the ball, a lot of times people make the mistake of just hitting the ball back to the player, thinking they're going to make a mistake. And uh, that usually doesn't happen, especially when you're playing with excellent tennis players. If you give them the ball right in front of them, they're going to hit the ball really hard. It's going to go past you very possibly, and then you're, you're going to have a problem. You're not going to win the game. Very possibly you lose the whole match. So what happened was at that time at Sutton East, I finally uh, was able to put together the whole thing of improving my overall strategy. And this happened because I lost two uh, matches in a row. I very rarely lost any two matches in a row. Usually maybe I lose one match and then I'm back on my winning streak. But So I, this time I lost two in a row and this was a, a big shock. And, and my opponent was even telling me that they were passing uh, tips on how to beat me to, to play. So to get rid of this idea that they can they, they, they could hit one shot and, and beat me playing, I really devised a new strategy. It was very interesting, similar to, like you said, like a Boolean strategy, where um, whenever they hit the ball, I had a, a certain kind of parameter to hit the ball either to the left side or to the right side, uh, short or a long ball to, down by the baseline. And uh, I was able to put this together as a new strategy. And I uh, I think after that time, when I put this strategy together, it immediately worked. The next match, I was back winning again. They couldn't figure out why when they hit the ball, you know, previously it used to, uh, it was starting to make it where I, I'd lose the game. I completely got rid of that problem. 
And uh, that made it where I was back on winning even more games than before. Of course, my sponsors there were so happy, and uh, they really liked that I put the strategy together. I think you know, going back, even uh, the player Tony Roach, who I uh, talked to, he gave me some pointers on playing, was really saying the same thing. He was he was telling me one goal I should have is to really put together my own strategy of playing and, and at this point i was able to do it which was really amazing and uh i think at that time i was playing and uh i played some other players i think one player i played uh at that time was during the eastern i won the eastern that year and uh, i played uh brad Witt from australia and uh and i remember playing him originally he was number one player from australia he had his own double tennis bubble over in australia and uh, he was a great player, but at that time, I my game, even though I was a star, that he he they came to my court and played me. I improved my game, and all those players I could beat them. So I I won the match against him in particular, and and I remember um, he was interested to learn my strategy of playing. So I gave him a lesson after after we played. I I won that tournament match. I I gave him a lesson. And I taught him my strategy. I passed it on to him because uh, him and the, the team, Australian team, were helpful to me. And uh, I, I, I gave him some pointers. And I think uh, after that, he won an extra couple matches uh, in his, his tournament play. I think he was, he was, from what was happening there, I think he was returning back to Australia. He wasn't going to stay in the USA anymore. And he returned back to Australia. And um, that's what he planned at the time. And uh, so, so I, I gave him that information of, of the strategy, and uh, and he and if he could, you know, make it happen for himself even more, I mean, that, that was okay. And uh, so I, I took the chances, and he wasn't able to beat me anyway with with my strategy, uh, uh, even though I even though I told him about it. So, but it does work, and I think another another player I really taught that strategy to was a player that was. Uh, born in the Philippines that was on the Japanese team and, and he took the plane with that strategy too and I think that was another key to him becoming more successful in tennis. He uh, started to win a lot of games with that strategy and uh, so it was, it's, that was a really big breakthrough for me. But I think everyone starting off would do the same kind of thing. They would just try to patch the hole. If they lost the game, they, they realized like the player kept hitting it to my left side and I couldn't get to it. And, and then you have to try to put together a strategy on how to hit the ball back. And and that is so in, as far as that's concerned, uh, uh, I think I think at any time, even though I had the strategy that my percentage went up, I did lose a game every once in a while. And the same thing did have to happen with trying to plug the hole. I mean, there was there was still there, but it was greatly reduced. And that, that problem was greatly reduced. And um so that is, was one thing about uh, my playing that I, I was able to do was devise a, a new tennis strategy that was successful and, and was helping and, and started to uh, get rid of having to patch the game. I had I kept it to a minimum. So that was one thing that was very important. And I think uh, that is, is something good. I think uh, coming back to play, uh, uh, there were some interesting things about that with the with the strategy and and maybe I could write it down when they uh, think about I could write the strategy down and maybe I could spread it to other people they could learn from it. So that's one possibility. And uh, 
I, I think um, uh, with that was also the tournament uh, playing, which was very interesting. Uh, when I was younger, I, I had my tennis club. I started this tennis club. But one thing about the tennis club is um, I really didn't uh, uh, have any instruction on how to putting the, the club together. I think when I was younger, maybe my father taught me some things about tennis overall playing. And um, and when I put my t tennis club together, me and some friends in school, uh, the overall strategy was to really put players together that was similar playing. And then if they were, whoever advanced would play someone a little bit higher with similar playing, and then whoever had lost would play someone who is similar playing, but uh, either going up or down in the rankings that we had, like a group of players. And that was... Um, one thing that how I arranged the tennis club and and then when the uh, my uh, excuse me it happens all the time to me then, somehow then so when my, then, when, then when the my the tennis coach from the school came over to really um, talk to me about my tennis club he as I started to talk to him and, and uh, that tennis club was then uh, taken over by the school and where he was directing all the games and everything. And then when I discussed to him how I put the matches together and how we had that, the whole, all the students really were interested in playing, he was discussing that uh, that style of playing with the club was really the same as how the pros work. So I was already a very advanced with my playing organization. I was already playing uh, the same style of uh, tennis as... Uh, the pros were doing, and the people in the club were very happy. They really liked it much better than playing like on the tennis team, and they really liked the tennis club way. And, and the tennis club was really the same as how the pros work. So when the the pro matches started through um, Anthony Cambria, uh, he uh, was able to uh, put the matches together, and I was already onto the idea of how the uh, matches work. I got the idea. Of, as you uh, play better, as you win matches, you're then playing people who are at your same level. And it was very competitive. And uh, so I was already on to the idea of how the, the pros worked. And I think that was one very interesting thing also about my ability to play tennis was my ideas were, were already uh, more advanced, more like pro playing. And everyone was happy playing like that. They didn't have big blowout games, and uh, so that was really the best way to do it. And I think that that was really good. I think one one interesting thing about tennis playing is that my year of tennis playing was still uh, before some changes took place. I think the newest things uh, as far as tennis was really the tennis rackets. At that time, when I was playing, everything switched from wood rackets over to metal rackets. So I was onto all the metal rackets from the start. My first Prince racket was was a metal racket, and uh, but one thing that was really from the previous generation was our clothing. So all of the clothing sneakers were really from uh, more of the original style, and the original style was where you're wearing mostly white, and um, the shirts were always like cottage shirts. Prefer wearing a cottage shirt, uh, usually wearing mostly white, sneakers mostly white, socks mostly white. And uh, I think back then, uh, 
they did specifically tell me what was going on with the clothing. I didn't have to guess at it. They told me they preferred all the players wearing mostly white. And you were allowed to wear some different solid color clothing, but they had to only be different sport colors. Uh, you can only wear things like sport red, sport yellow, sport blue, sport green. And you weren't allowed to wear any solid black. No black sneakers, no solid black pants tops anything like that the only thing that were really in black color was just a stripe you could have a stripe on your pants top uh on your sneakers you could have a stripe of black on your sneakers i think uh, most sneakers a lot of times they, they have like maybe a blue stripe or red stripe but if they had a sneakers that did have black stripe it was okay and you weren't allowed to wear anything like cut off t-shirts things like that and uh, you couldn't wear any belts on your on your clothes either. You had to have uh, the pants. Usually, were long tennis pants uh, with with like uh, pockets. But you couldn't have any any belts on your clothes. And um, and then I think as far as like the sneakers, very interesting. There was a whole talk about sneakers. I think sneakers with sneaker brands. I think when I was growing up. And uh, since I was very athletic, how many brands I, I, were there back then? I, I wore every every brand. I tried on every brand, and I used to go to the store and I, I would pick a sneaker, different brands, and I and I could run through them in one afternoon. I think I sometimes I, the sneakers, if they were like a canvas top, the top eventually, as I got older, the top would just come right off the sneakers. So I usually all my sneakers with tennis, they're always a leather top sneaker, and. Um, I think there were different brands. I think very interesting. There was one brand called Pony, which I was just reading about the the different brands of sneakers, and I see that Pony was called Product of New York, Product of of you know New York City, and that was very interesting because uh, some players around the world they were wearing Pony sneakers, and I think the Pony sneakers they had another brand name too. So I think the sneakers in the other parts of the world didn't use the name Pony, they used another name, but it was, was the same sneaker. So a lot of people like to wear ponies, and I think um, uh, I was wearing Converse sneakers. I sort of took the Converse sneakers. Uh, at the time, I uh, they gave me free sneakers from Prince Racket, and uh, I, I also tried all the other different brands. I had every kind of brand, uh, Adidas, Nike, Reebok, Mufila, um, everybody. I tried every brand. And um, I used to wear them out. And and uh, Converse sneakers were pretty good. It was a pretty popular sneaker amongst the, uh, the top pro players, I think. The Converse sneaker wasn't too bad. I had a special order it eventually, those sneakers. And uh, uh, I specially ordered them over there by Goldman Brothers in Hicksville. And so, I, I, so those were really pro sneakers. And, and that was pretty good. And that has to do with the bottom of the sneakers. You see that they were like... Uh, a blue rubber sneaker on the bottom. I think the, the better sneakers they usually have different color rubber bottoms compared to just the, the simple uh, one color sneaker, which is usually a starter sneaker. And that, that was very interesting. I think I think today I noticed the sneakers are still developing very good. I think the Converse was a little bit advanced for that time, so that was good. And um, because they had all all kinds of, of different things about them. But I think that is like a, a standard sneaker and um, at the time. So I think a lot of sneakers were good. I think there were some sneakers uh, that weren't in the U.S. There was um, 
uh, one brand sneaker, I think it was Lalo, and they they don't really sell them here too much, but that was a popular sneaker with a lot of the pros too. I, I noticed that uh, they don't they don't really sell them here, and uh, and then of course today I think everyone knows all the major brands. You go into the sports store, they have all the brands that are still there. Yeah. I think the, overall the sneakers are made better today. Uh, I think uh, I think any brand you buy today, the sneakers are made much better, much more like you would say, um, uh, better on your feet. They might have pulled out, you know, and and, and they can wash them in the in the washing machine. Most of the brands now, which is good, yes. without them falling apart so quick. <laughs> yes, yes, I think the sneakers are made much better today uh, than starting off. I think, uh, but I think the the few brands that I talked about, those were brands I think were made maybe a little bit better. People liked wearing them at the time and uh, playing tennis. And uh, but I think today the the brands pretty much they are all made a better quality. And um, and I I still try different kinds of brands of sneakers, but uh, yeah, that's what was going on with, in the sneaker world with the, with the tennis. And other people they they used to talk about the tennis sneakers. I think the tennis sneakers it could make a difference if you were to wear a pair of sneakers back then and they had like a hard rubber on the bottom. You can have a problem if they don't bend good, like today's sneakers. You you can lose the match. Yeah. If if uh, if the sneakers did not bend good back then, you had this thing about having to break in sneakers to mm -hmm. wear them. Yeah, I remember that. Today, yeah. I don't think they have that problem anymore. You put a wear a pair of sneakers today, you're you're walking, you have no problem running around. And back then, if you bought a pair of sneakers, you'd have to really break them in. You'd have to start yeah. to loosen the bottom, the rubber. <clears throat> a lot of times it was like a white bottom rubber, even a gum rubber yep, bottom mm -hmm. on some sneakers. And that can become a big problem. You have a new pair of sneakers and you really need to break them in and you have to play a match. You have a problem. That, that, well, I'm thinking that of blisters and pain. Ah, ah. But we are just yeah. about out of time for this segment. I know we're coming back. Uh, we're going to talk more about you in the tennis world. And let's just wrap up this conversation about the sneakers. Go ahead. I think so. I think that's about it. But I think I was just telling you a little bit of a piece of the past yeah. with that. And but the sneakers are much better now, similar to all the different improvements uh, with the tennis equipment. And uh, that, so that's really what was going on. It was uh, just a very interesting fact to talk about. Awesome. And of course, we'll be back uh, in just a moment. How do we, how do we reach you? Uh, yes, uh, you can go onto my Facebook page at John Reggio, pro tennis player, and there you'll see some uh, photographs of me there on some videos and you see a link to a list that shows my matches and other information about my tennis playing and also all the videos here too are listed on facebook so you can watch all of them beautiful thank you so much john reggio we'll be right back we're going to discuss some more topics uh some stuff in the news right most in yes. particular we'll do that in the meantime we'll be right back with more don't go anywhere Introducing Venture X, Capital One's new travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars, and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel, and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Has life seemed to have lost its vibrancy? Do you need help sorting through some of the things going on in your life and in your mind and in your heart? Well, I got good news. You are not alone and I am here to help. 
I am Alice Ward, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor, Owner and Private Practitioner of Transformation Begins Within. Let me help you learn some strategic steps and therapeutic tools to help you on your journey to wellness. You can reach me at transformingmindsets.com. Be mindful, be well, be free. Therapy is my love language. We are Hemp Variety, your lifestyle store for top shelf variety items. From smokable and consumable hemp-derived products to exclusive brands such as Yeezy, Air Jordan, Supreme, and Bathing Ape, our store is trendy and unique. When it comes to our item selection and creativity process, Hemp Bridey is truly a one-of-a-kind experience. We also specialize in Delta 8 products, and we innovate and strive to bring all of our customers the latest cannabinoids and an outstanding customer service experience. Our physical store is located in Columbia, Missouri, the heart of the Mizzou University at 809 East Walnut Street. Order online at HempBridey.com, and you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at HempBridey. Choose us and join the Top Shelf lifestyle. Are you looking for even more of the podcasts and hosts that you love? The Podcast Business News Network is proud to announce that you now have even more ways to listen live. Check out the MyTuner Radio, Online Radio Box, and Simple Radio apps on iOS and Android, or find us online. Search for Business News Network on MyTuner-Radio.com, or search Podcast Business News Network on Streama.com and OnlineRadioBox.com slash US. Take your podcasts on the go and don't miss a minute of the action. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Welcome back. We are joined by pro tennis player John Reggio and, of course, our architect. And uh, today we're talking more about his tennis career, which is pretty exceptional. And if you just heard the first part of the uh, newscast, uh, we talked a lot about, uh, well, in the end, there the fashion with the sneakers. But I know you want to highlight some things that are in the news lately, which is kind of important. What did you want to share about the tennis world and what's happening? Yes, I think, uh, well, first, uh, since I had discussed my tennis page, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just put up my sure. uh, my tennis page. I amended it from the last time. Okay. Let me just show it to you here. Let's get this on here. Where is it? Oh, I have to put it on the board here first. 14 hours, ready to go. Okay, good. Yes. Okay, great. Okay, so I amended this last week, and I added some information on here. I think the name John East, I didn't list because it never was officially listed as a name or really used it as a name. It was just a <clears throat> proposed name. And I added all that information. I think from the last time I just added one piece of information was I did receive the ATP player with the most wins again uh, back uh, when I was playing with Perot. So that was pretty good. And um, yeah. this just shows all the different things on here. And then I've just updated. Okay. Just the end thing with the, with the visit over to um, Japan. Japan. So this, <laughs> this, this is. And the car. I remember before. that and car. And the remaining videos. Oh, awesome. Okay, so I can stop the share on this. Okay. Okay, so then. Um, so that. 
uh, list of information about my tennis career, you can find it if you go to my Facebook page, uh, John Reggio Pro Tennis Player, and then I have a link there. You just click on it, and it shows a whole list of information about my tennis playing. It's very interesting. I'm sure you like it. And um, so I think today, uh, as far as the news stories, is well, you know, one interesting thing about the past, I think a lot of people don't know this, and it's very interesting, uh, was they decided to have the tennis reintroduced into the Olympics again. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened was, uh, one of the trainers for the Olympics, and and he was someone who was uh, there around my games and things, and and knew about my playing. He was going around writing a list of players that are going to play in the Olympics, and I think I had said this a few times before. But he asked me about my playing status. And I'm a pro player. When I said yes, I'm a pro player going through the parameters of having more than $3,000 worth of equipment or payments of any kind. Of course, it was way over $3,000. And uh, I think I explained each match is like $20,000 payment. So that obviously puts me into way over $3,000. And then, um, so what he was saying was, um, he was uh, asking each, each player there, which are all the top pros from around the world, and of course the U.S. players were eligible to play for the U.S. team, he was asking them if they wanted to play with the in the Olympics. And a lot of them, instead of acting a certain way that they yes, they are pro players, they were told he gave a very simple question, maybe like a funny question, you know, are you, do you want to play in the Olympics, are you a pro player? And they just said yes, and uh, they didn't make any money, you <laughs> know. So they so they did get to play in the Olympics, but I think I think overall the Olympics is really amateur sports. And usually amateur sports uh, for tennis means you didn't go you didn't go that high yet, uh, unless you're playing in a world of, of uh, more coll- collegiate or or non non pro playing, which obviously that that isn't what was taking place. You had to win matches and and then uh, everything would work as far as the pro playing, which is all the top players. So I think at that time, they did go play in the Olympics, and there was that big controversy that everyone read about, and I think uh, it caused a big problem. And I think as far as a personal level, at my level, when I went to China, and they came out about me being the tennis pro and and everything, the first thing they told me was the same thing, was uh, America cheated in the Olympics, and they caught them that they weren't amateur players. And of course, I explained that I was honest. I did not play; I was a pro player. But um, that is one interesting thing. So they all knew about it, and this is years and years later. Everyone, they all knew about that. So it was sort of embarrassing. But I knew the the story very uh, exactly, very closely because the the Olympic coach was around my playing the whole time, and he's the one who's writing down all the pro players that got to go play in the Olympics. And uh, it, it caused a big problem. Now, I think since I explained that I'm a U.S. player, I signed a contract as a U.S. player when I was younger. And uh, so when that whole controversy came about, I don't know if everyone knows this, but a, a lot of the U.S. players, they were reprimanded very harshly. They they had to give back the uh, their medals. And a lot of players I know, they, they went to court and... 
they unfortunately they were convicted they uh, uh some of them had to go to to jail for like six months i mean it was really horrible and or they had to do a plea bargain of some kind that got out of it and i think since i was a u.s player that even though i was honest and didn't uh have any and didn't play i think what i was told i don't know why they told me this but some people told me that uh I, they had it where I had to sit out some tournaments. Now, the tournaments, the whole thing, what tournament I'm playing and uh, when the tournament is, I have no idea. I'm not the organizer of any of my tournaments. I do not apply for them, pay for them myself. I have no idea. So they could have me play 20 tournaments. They could have me play 25 tournaments. I would never know the difference. So but what I was told that someone, someone... Uh, at least one or two people told me that I had to miss a certain number of tournaments. And I knew at that time I was probably going to win them. So I did have to sit out of those tournaments because of this whole thing with the Olympics. And uh, so as far as my playing, I really did not know the difference. But I think to them it was more important because it was all part of this whole controversy with the Olympic playing and the tennis playing. And I think that uh, that whole thing was part of like maybe what they call like a plea bargain. And I think that helped one or more players. I think it kept them out of jail. I mean, it was really pretty serious what happened. And it was, it was really sad. I think I think for a while they're making a big deal of it. But I think um, they I, I see it isn't really that um, visible. I was just researching the Internet again. And I see they're not really talking about it too much, but uh, I think it's since it affected me individually when I went overseas. Uh, in Japan, they didn't say anything about it, but I think in uh, in China they they did know all about that controversy, and uh, it sort of put a mark on the U.S. with tennis that they they did catch them at a, at a controversy, and then I think uh, that yeah that trainer Bob he was the guy writing everything down. And I think he was doing it like maybe like a practical joke. I prob he probably never expected something would really come about it. But it turned out to be really serious. And some of the U.S. players really had to pay pretty bad. They really, they really did for participating in, in the Olympics there, which was pretty sad. And uh, so that, that I think since I took it personally, uh, you know, I'm talking about it. Uh, so it did, it did affect me a little bit. And I think it, it did put a mark on the U.S., which was pretty sad. And uh, so that that is really. I think if you're a pro player, why would I? Why would anyone want to step down to an amateur? I mean, obviously, an amateur is supposed to be someone who's really coming up, maybe very young, and it's a really different line of playing. That's why I thought at the same time, because I, I know going through my coach, I explained the whole thing that if I wasn't able to advance at a certain pace through the pros, I would just play ITF, which is a minor league. And uh, and so to to play in ATP, the pro league, I mean, at the top pro league, that, that is really so much higher. And uh, so to 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 want to get myself in the Olympics just doesn't make any sense. I, that would really didn't make any sense to me. I really wouldn't want to do it. And I think um, so. The whole thing that took place there with the Olympics was, was pretty sad. Uh, and it did affect me a little. And uh, so I think they wanted me to know that I did have to miss some matches because of the Olympics, uh, that it, it was affecting me as a as a U.S. player and, and things like that. So that is that is what was happening there. And then I think um, 
Well, one interesting thing about my tennis career that I was explaining, I think if I, if I told you the the story, like when I, from the Jericho courts, they had me move over to the U.S. Tennis Center, Court 33, and I showed the example where Court 33 is on my webpage. But you probably wonder why, why would I go to Court 33 and then they gave me problems? Most people, they wouldn't do that. Most people, you would think you would go to a court where everything would work out great. We wouldn't have any problems at all. But in fact, they, they did know that going to court 33, um, there very possibly was some problems. They, there were other tennis players that were there. They did encounter strange problems. They were terrorists. And then, uh, but, they, so they, but they had me go there anyway. I think the other choice was for me to play at Fresh Meadows. Fresh Meadows has its own stadium. It's just like 15 minutes down the road in, in Queens, New York. It's called the Fresh Meadows. They have the Fresh Meadows Stadium there. Uh, the Australian team was staying there. That's where they. That was their main place of playing. And the Australian team was very nice and friendly with me. We always had a lot of fun playing. But I, that isn't where I played. I played at the U.S. Tennis Center on Court 33. And uh, they did give me my own court there. And uh, had use of, in fact, all the total six courts that were that were next to me, and uh, so that was pretty good. And um, and I think it was very beneficial for them. But I think uh, as far as um, everything going so perfect, obviously that wasn't what was happening there. And there was there was some problems that were taking place. And and I think eventually from the problems, what happened was even though they court 33, they renovated, made it official courts with bleachers, seats all around it, uh, television, international television, uh, regular television, local television was on the courts. Um, I ended up getting the whole thing moving over to Ali Pond, where they made that tennis center for me. So that is what was happening. But the going to the U.S. Tennis Center wasn't the easiest path. And I think going there also, everyone in the pro tennis knows at that time you had to go and keep your ranking there with the U.S. Tennis Center which was located there in Fresh Meadows, New York City and Queens. And um, they also called it the National Tennis Center. And so that that was one thing that was happening at the time. And that was one thing that was giving people uh, was a little unstable. And then um, what was happening was also that that was sort of giving a problem, like uh, when you go to Aripan, the same people are coming over. So if there's any problem existing at the U.S. Tennis Center, it would follow you over there anyway. So that, that was what was happening, too. And uh, so that was interesting. And then um, I think uh, then the next thing was, uh, very interestingly, the ATP, I think we were doing very good with the ATP. But I think the ATP, of course, like anything, the people, they weren't perfect. I mean, the, there was nothing perfect. One, there was a problem with the player name. Whoever they had assigned to doing the player names caused a big problem. And um, the, they didn't really get the player names too good, I think. Um, so it had problems over the years with that with the player name. In fact, something did happen to the person working there, too. They uh, eventually, uh, with the player names, they were trying to force player names on me and probably other people. And they did have to do something about the person on the other line of the phone there. They they had to have the authorities do something to him. 
And uh, because he wasn't really allowed to really play around with people, play your names too much. It was starting to cause a lot of problems. And in fact, I just recently I was um, watching the television. I see they show this tennis player. They say this is like he, he was playing over by the U.S. Tennis Center. And they say this guy is an excellent tennis player. They just showed him as an example. And they just showed him hitting the ball a few times in a match on a, on a tennis court over there. And they said his name is Sox. And no first name, no last name, just socks. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I... Uh, Never I, heard I, of him, no. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think this might be another example that people still have that kind of problem. Maybe they're just using like a nickname they gave him to play, but no real definite first and last name. And they said that he was like, you know, a great player and coming up. So that was just and I saw that little piece on the, on the television. That was It was pretty good. Uh but I think uh, just like a little indication, of giving someone like a nickname like that, until, um, uh, it's, it's probably going to change. I mean, that's uh, that was just interesting. And then I think um, one very interesting thing is, uh, aside from the names with the with the ATP, I think like I said, any any person they they're not perfect. And I know when I was playing at one point, uh, they had an ATP representative came over and when they were talking in private uh talking to my sponsors they were claiming that they were really a god i mean you know i think maybe from people really wanting to play tennis person <laughs> was really getting you know really really high in and uh saying that they were gods what happened I think this person probably thought that they were getting away with it, that they, uh, uh, and it turns out they were really doing something very wrong, like maybe like a con artist, and they had to have the authorities really apprehend the person. And from what I heard, that they did get penalized a certain way, uh, and the so the person who was saying that they were a god, and and I think it was implied that they were maybe making statements. Um, I don't know, you know, what, what statements, but, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. And, uh, they did do something about them too with the authorities. And it, it was proven that they were not allowed to act a certain way like that. And I, I don't know, maybe that is probably because like, uh, in tennis, I think, um, not everyone's willing to contest things that go wrong. A lot of people, when people, even your opponent cheats on the court or already is starting to get up where they're coaching and they're, and they're playing an opponent, they cheat a lot of times and they tell their opponent they want them to lose the match. And a lot of players that are playing, they might agree with them. They say, okay, they'll lose the match and they don't complain at all. So a lot of these people, they might have been just getting away with it. I think one thing about my career is that I did not take anything from the opponent. Uh, I think even starting out when I was a junior, if there was someone cheating, I used to make the complaint about them. It would go through the channels, and uh, I didn't take the complaint back. It was honest truth about them, and things did start to happen. And uh, <clears throat> I think overall, a lot of people were happy about that. And this was happening throughout my career and I was happy that I was able to get sponsors that were sort of acting the same way 
they did not want to take this kind of thing from the people. They, if there was a problem, something really going wrong, it really had to go to not only to league penalties. It really got very serious. Some things were even they were even getting caught for things like grand larceny, cheating re related into them getting awards of money, and they were getting a prize trophies and things. And then when uh, uh, either going through myself or through my, uh, my sponsors, it ended up going through the authorities, and they end up having a serious problem, having to give the money back, give the trophies back. I heard some of them, they they did even have to get penalized even worse with, uh, with the jail. So it, it, is, it was really, the one thing about my playing was, I wasn't uh, I wasn't taking their problems from the other side of the court, and neither were my sponsors, which was something very good. Uh, I think what was developing with a lot of other people, they thought different. They had people doing outrageous things instead, and uh, I think a lot of people thought the outrageous things were getting ahead because they were still in newspapers, they were still in like tennis magazine. I think. Like with Tennis Magazine, things were getting so outrageous with Tennis Magazine, they ended up banning Tennis Magazine here in the USA in the public libraries where I lived. I lived on Long Island, New York, and um, they ended up banning the Tennis Magazine for that reason. It started to de develop into where it became too much of lies and had to do with them acting outrageous, and, and no one really stopped. So... When I was playing, if they really were bothering my tennis game, causing me problems, and then obviously it was going to my uh, um, sponsors where they were causing problems, they did not uh, just keep it quiet. They really did take action on all the different things. And, and you, so the different sponsors I had starting from the beginning, we did do things against the opponents. And I think it was working much better like that. And I think... Um, because the, whatever was happening there was a, a very strange. It was it was they were doing all kinds of strange things, homo things, and it, it wasn't very good. And uh, so so that was what was happening. I think another interesting story was just a smaller story was uh, when I was um, teaching, had my own tennis bubble and everything. One student that the uh, ATP assigned to me, he was. He was there for a series of lessons I gave him. And it was the usual lessons. Lessons were to, to teach him strategy, winning shots, how to win matches is what it was. It wasn't a starter instructions. It was really a very advanced. And uh, one, one interesting thing was, so one day he comes to, to play and, and, and we're playing there and he says for some reason, he goes, it was cold outside last night. And I said, okay, so I was cold aside. I said, well, didn't you, do you have heat on the side, you know, and everything? He said, no, it's been cold the last few days. He said, because he's been sleeping outside. <laughs> he really, he became completely homeless. He, he really did not have any money, and uh, which was very strange. And uh, he ended up sleeping outside. And... Uh, and so, so I think, uh, so I think at that point he was going to leave, but um, I think someone ended up helping him out. Uh, so that's so that's what was happening with them, and uh, so that was really very another little interesting thing that happened. 
And I think that is um, maybe one example of why a lot of people were saying about people having a side job was to try to get rid of that problem. So that's, I think that is really the example of what they're talking about, that there wasn't really any money there for him to um, uh, stay in an apartment of any kind. So that is pretty sad. But uh, yeah, I think that is really one example of what was happening. And, um, okay, so I think, so, so, yeah, so those were some interesting stories. I think I just wanted to give some... You always uh, have good stories. <laughs> some interesting stories, some inside stories. I think, I think like, with the Olympic story, uh, it, it did affect me personally. There was a lot of first-hand information on that, and, um, it, uh, it, uh, but, uh, it, uh, I, I didn't do the wrong thing at that time. I think I did the, the correct thing, and, um... Uh, that, so that was very interesting, and uh, so those were really some interesting stories. I think um, I left some names and things like that, but uh, yeah, so you get the idea of what's happening, and uh, so so that was pretty good. And now <clears throat> you, as a tennis pro, as an architect, which is a whole nother career, which we spent many shows on, but again, managing it all. And how often are you playing tennis these days now, John? Yeah, I'm still playing three days a week. Awesome. I, I have I have my own meetup. It's here in uh, Central New Jersey, and I'm still playing three days a week. Uh, I teach one day of the week, and the other two days uh, playing with uh, some uh, local players. They can sign up, and my uh, my meetup is pretty good. Um, I have here. It, let me see how many members I have here. Let me just look at the. I can show you this. Let me let me share this with you. Let me just go on here. Just get the page up. Okay, good. Let me share this with you. Sure. This is it's pretty good. Okay, so this here is um if you can see the page here, this is the meetup, Central New Jersey Tennis, and you see I have approaching 1,500 players. I have here a little video of uh, of our our um, discussions here, the podcast, and it just shows all the different kinds of players here. I think if you, if you I don't know if you've ever went out to meetup.com, it shows a whole list of players yeah. here, members, uh, males and females. It's a co-ed group. And just have here just a little description saying about the group. And this shows some of the events. Let me just show you some past events. Okay, just so you see all past events here. And I think this here you can see the the events, people showing up to play. And I, this has been going on for a while. Let me see the, uh, in the summer it gets pretty busy with players. I think we had a little stoppage with those um, forest fires with the smoke in the air. So I think a few of the events had to really people couldn't show up and play. That was uh, something that happened this summer that was interesting. I think each year the weather, sometimes the summer starts a little early, sometimes it ends a little late. So it depends on what's happening there too. It's been staying a little warmer this year. Everyone usually comes out to play outside until it gets like 60 degrees. Then I have uh, the indoor court, 
And then I have, let's see, some pictures. Let me just show you. This is, see, these are pictures from uh, the different events. You see this one's indoors over here. This is outdoors with the lights on in Rahway. And we have uh, a few different parks. We play at the Thomas Edison Park. Play at the um, park in uh, New Brunswick. And uh, play over wow. here at the Roosevelt Park. You're a busy in, man. <clears throat> in Edison. So these are the, the these are pictures of everyone playing here. And um, let me see. This is um, okay. This one is there. Okay, so this shows like a series of photographs. Even to learn how to play tennis. tennis, I saw it. Nice. Yeah, so let's see, events. Um, and then this here is uh, some upcoming events. People are RSVPing already Great. to play the events. And then I think over here, just awesome. go on to the main page. Uh, I also Central have here, you can, you can even make a it? donation to playing. The, all the events are free. The indoor, you have mm -hmm. to pay for the court. This isn't too bad. We share the court fee, and um, and that that is what's going on. This is our meetup, and it's called a Central New Jersey Tennis Meetup. Central New so Jersey. This is how I've been keeping meetup. most of my tennis going. I was awesome. also playing some USTA tennis, playing some flex leagues uh, in previous years, and uh, so I've been playing pretty good. So that's that's what I have here, and uh, let's. Great. We stopped to share on that. Beautiful. Okay, so Thank that you so is, much. Yeah, so that shows my current playing right now. And uh, yeah, I was playing you know, all different kinds of things. I've been playing some Flex League in the past, too. Beautiful. Well, let's do uh, this. We unfortunately are out of time. we got to talk about how we can reach out to you. Tell us the websites again. Yes, the best way to go is just go to my Facebook page at John okay. Geo Pro Tennis Player. I have my telephone number, my email there. You can send a message through the Facebook. And um, if you have any questions, and, and then from there, you could also go to the meetup. If you're interested in playing some tennis, you just you could sign up, RSVP for the event. My yep. events are free, and uh, you could play some tennis. Perfect. We'll do it. Thank you so much. And pleasure to have you back, as always. And for all your architectural needs, reach out to John Riggio, too. That's a whole other side of him, which, of course, uh, Multifaceted. Thank you again, John. You're welcome. Nice, nice talk to you, John. You like too. This. Thank you. Could you do extensions on houses out in Suffolk County and Long Island? Are you licensed to work out here? Yes, yes. I want an extension on my house one day. Just at the pool. Not yet, but I have an idea. And you're the only architect that I know know. So, okay, good Good to know. Just making sure. You can work in New York. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah. Buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's like a dozen Sarahs in my class. Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah. Seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is, like, busy, you know? 
I wonder if there's pizza at school today. Sometimes it can be tough to get through to your kids, but it's not impossible. Always make sure they're wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Remember, you have the keys, you have the power. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information.